Over the last couple of weeks, uh, maybe even months, because of breaks between them, we have been journeying through the book of Luke. Uh, if you're not too familiar with Scripture, Luke is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, you'll find that in the New Testament, the third book of the New Testament. Luke is a physician. Uh, Luke wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. But he trained under or sat under or listened to the teaching of one of the disciples. And being a physician, being a learned individual, and, and perhaps wanting a more concise or more uh, explained journey of who Jesus Christ was, he undertook to research who was Jesus. Uh, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus teach? And as he researched this, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. I, I don't know if he necessarily intended to write a gospel thinking this will go to the world because it says quite clearly in the opening comments of the book of Luke it was to uh, an individual. But anyway, be that as it may, we have this book, we have this letter uh, that Luke has written to account for who Jesus Christ is. And so as we've been journeying through this book of Luke, this gospel of Luke, uh, we've been introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. Both his teaching, his words, and the works. And as we've journeyed through that, hopefully it's opening our eyes to a richer understanding of just who Christ is. Just what he's done and what he does indeed. So as we continue that journey this morning, we're going into Luke chapter 8. Now, for some of you, you know where we've got to from now, and you've been part of this journey, and you're going to say immediately, but Brian, you've missed the parable of the sower. Yeah, you've skipped out the first few verses of Luke chapter 8. Yes, I know that. Uh, why we're not looking at the parable of the sower this morning is we did that just a few months ago. You might remember last year we did the parables of Jesus Christ and we had a look at a couple of the key parables. And so we did the parable of the sower in that. But to help give some context, to help give some understanding of maybe where the journey has gone and what Jesus is speaking about and what he's teaching... Uh, as we look at the parable of the sower, many people read that and kind of go, okay, it's all about the four different soil types, and which, as we know, that's humans and their hearts and how they receive the word of God. And so if we can change people's hearts, uh, we might have them more receptive to the word of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and indeed, that's our prayer. We pray that people's hearts would be changed and we journey with them and we try as best we can to change their hearts. Uh, although quite often we sort of realize, well, people don't always seem to change. It's, it's hard work. Uh, and so we're not sure if people's hearts even change. So when I read the parable of the sower, uh, to me it's more a case of, well, if you want more harvest, if you want a bigger harvest, you need to sow more seed. If you're only getting a 25% return on investment, then keep on sowing the seed. And hopefully there will be more and so with that parable, with that story in mind, Jesus continues teaching. And this is where we're going to pick it up this morning from verse 16 of Luke chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, whether on phone or in front of you or up on the screen behind me, we're going to go from verse 16 through to verse 21. And this is Jesus teaching. And he says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed 
and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. I want you to think for a moment, what's the literal darkest place you've ever experienced? I'm not talking spiritual, emotional, I'm I'm literally, you know, it was pitch black. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I remember as a, a young boy being taken on a school field trip, and we ended up at a place called the Kango Caves, which is a cave system in the Western Cape of South Africa. And it's, it's incredible. If you ever find yourself there, you definitely want to check it out. It's, in, it's remarkable. This incredibly huge, this massive cave structure. And as we arrive, and we're, you know, we're a bunch of schoolboys uh, kind of strolling in, we're not really paying attention to everything. And so we're following the guide, and we're going down the stairs, and we're following down the passageway, and we're looking at all the rock, and it's all kind of, yeah, cool, nice, you know. Uh, but it's all lit up, so we're no worries. And eventually we get into this cavernous room. I mean, it is just massive. Uh, you know, and even as young boys, we're kind of thinking to ourselves, how did, how did something this big exist underground? Uh, the, the structure we were in, or sorry, the cave we were in was probably five or six times bigger than this auditorium that we're in. Just this huge, huge thing. Uh, and so as the guide is speaking, And starting to tell about the first few journeys into the Kango Caves, uh, the guide kind of reminds everyone that back then they didn't have electricity. So to kind of make it a little more real to experience, we're going to turn off all the lights. And of course, they switch off all the lights. And we are just in this darkness. I mean, we're aware, I can, like, I'm trying to move my hands, I cannot see anything. My eye is straining to try and find some light. There's no light. And and I don't know about you, I don't necessarily have a problem with the dark. I remember once somebody saying, people aren't afraid of being alone in the dark. They're afraid of not being alone in the dark. (laughs) And that's doubly so when you're with an all-boys school, because you know there's a punch or a fist or something coming at some point. We cannot see. We're aware of people, but we cannot see. And then the instructor or the guide, sorry, says, in the first trip into this cave, they were lowered from this point. That's how they came in. And so suddenly this little flicker of light comes up at the very top of the cavern. And they slowly lower this candle-type lamp down. And at first, it doesn't offer much, but you can see the lights up there. But as it comes down and as your eyes start to adjust, slowly you realize, I I can actually see. Uh, Yeah, sure, I can't see great. I certainly can't run, but I can slowly see some shapes and I can see. And you start to realize that light really does drive out darkness. So even for children who are afraid of the dark, We put on a simple little nightlight. 
And it drives out the darkness, and in the same time, it drives out their fear of the dark. And we don't like darkness because we can't see, we can't tell where we are, we can't explore, we can't move. We need light in that darkness. And so when Jesus speaks about light in darkness, we immediately understand why light is important. And I know at first I said, what's the most literal darkest place you've been in? But for many of us, our darkness isn't literal darkness. It might be emotional. It might be relational. It might be psychological. As we experience very various uh, experiences of life, sorry, and, and they put us into this dark place. Of course, even as Christians, as we talk about spiritual darkness, and we look around the world today and, and we kind of have the sense of this world seems to be increasingly in darkness. This world needs light to drive out the darkness. And we might teach children that light is the opposite of dark. And, and yeah, okay, sure, in English and grammar, that's true. But in reality, light is not the opposite of darkness because light drives out darkness. There is no darkness that can drive out light. So even in something like the Kango Caves, I could light up a tiny little birthday candle. You know one of those miniature little things like this? And, and assuming it doesn't burn out in 10 seconds, even that little light will help me move around. Light drives out darkness. Maybe this is why in the Gospel of John... John records Jesus' words in John 8 verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And as that light, Jesus shines. Jesus, yes, exposes and exposes and, and reveals the truth. But as Jesus shines on us, we read a passage of scripture like this and we read the teachings of Jesus and we realize that not only does Jesus shine on us, but Jesus is supposed to shine through us into the world around us. This is why Jesus uses that illustration as simple as it is. Jesus says nobody lights a lamp and then hides it. We light a lamp in order to see and for others to see by it. You already remember that Newsboys song, Shine? Shine, make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not. No, really? Hmm. Okay, how about this little light of mine? I'm going to let it. Okay, cool, cool. Of course, if you thought of Nirvana's Jesus don't want me for a sunbeam, then you need help. We don't light a lamp and cover it. We light a lamp so that people can see. So that the darkness is removed. So that the light has a greater reach. And so Jesus uses this, this illustration, this picture, and then he connects it to a spiritual reality in verse 17. Because light exposes things in the darkness. Hidden things will be exposed. In fact, Jesus is going to echo this teaching in Luke chapter 12. Just a few chapters later, in Luke 12, verse 2, Jesus says, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear or in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. 
And of course, I'm not just talking about photos that come back 20 years later to haunt a politician. I'm, I'm glad that I grew up before Instagram and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus is saying, we might think we've done something in secret. We might think we've said something or whispered something and it's hidden away. And Jesus goes, no, the light will reveal even those secrets, even those places in the dark recesses, light exposes them. It will be revealed. One day we will stand before God and we will give an account even for every careless word we've uttered. Maybe I need to stop here and, and, and ask a difficult question for each of us. What is it you're trying to keep hidden in the dark? Is there an addiction? Is there an emotion or a response or gossip or anger? Is there, uh, maybe there's depression or suicidal thoughts. Maybe there's secrecy and secrets. We're not supposed to keep that hidden in the dark. We don't need to keep that hidden in the dark. Because as try as we might to keep it there, the light will reveal it. And the light will expose it. And as our world increasingly attempts to remove God from the public sphere, to remove acknowledgement, to remove the direction, and as the world increasingly seems to be filled with darkness and confusion, it is the light of Christ that brings hope and that brings life. It is the light of Christ that exposes the way we should go. And it's you and I who are supposed to be shining that light into darkness. I think this is why Jesus goes on right there in verse 18. And he says, be careful then how you listen. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? Be careful then how you listen. Effectively, what Jesus is asking or what Jesus is saying is, what will you do? With what you have heard. What will you do with what you have heard? Be careful how you listen. The other day I was driving down 16th Avenue and kind of as I was pulled up next to the traffic lights, I noticed the car next to me, uh, the front wheel was flat. So of course, being the good conscientious citizen I am, I wind down my window and honk the horn and the driver's like, well, you know, gets the fright and looks over and, and I sort of point out and opens the window and I say, hey, your front wheel's flat. They're like, oh, okay, thank you. And then I drove off. Because it's not my responsibility, it's theirs. <laughs> what they do with what they've heard, will they listen to it or not? It's not up to me. I simply exposed some light. It makes sense. It's the opposite tire. The driver didn't see it getting in. What will they do with what they've heard? And Jesus asks that same question to us. As he asks his disciples, what will you do with the gospel that you've heard? What will you do to the commands and teachings? Or sorry, what will you do with the commands and teachings of Jesus Christ? What will you do with the commands of Scripture as we read them? So when Scripture says, forgive others as God forgave us in Christ, will I act on that or will I ignore it? Will I hold on to a grudge and unforgiveness? Or when Scripture says we need to care for others, will I reject that and say, no, it's selfishly all about me? And this is one of the reasons 
that we as a, a pastoral team keep challenging life groups into service projects. It's about shining the light. It's about caring for others. Yes, I know it's uncomfortable and it's hard work and it's, it's tiring and difficult, but it's because this is what Scripture commands. What will we do with the command of Scripture? Will we carry one another's burdens? Will we encourage one another? Will we live holy lives? How you listen, and therefore how you act, sorry, will be revealed by the light we shine. And Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, and it's kind of an echo of what we've read this morning in Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why? Well, because based on your light, the way you act in response to this word, Based on that, you will receive from God. Now, this isn't a works-based salvation. Jesus isn't saying, okay, you work and you earn favor. No. But Jesus is saying everything we do, not to earn grace, but in response to grace, is weighed and accounted for. And so those who have, well, God will give more. And those who think they have nothing, even the little they've got, it will be taken away from them. And then Jesus concludes, as his family come, they're trying to get close to him. They've realized that the crowds are mobbing him the whole time. And like a good, concerned family, they come up and try and get to him. And Jesus responds. He's not ignoring his family. He's not slighting them. He's teaching. And so he says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And that's the perfect conclusion to his illustration of a lamp. You see, those who shine the light, those are the heirs with me of glory and of eternity. And those who are my heirs, those who are brothers and sisters in me, are those who do what I command. There are those who've heard my teaching and put it into practice. I want to pause and just consider that word, shine. What does it really mean to shine for Jesus? You know, the Greek word is phino. And it's an interesting word because, yes, it passively does mean to shine, to be bright or to be resplendent. But that's a, a passive illustration. And what I mean by passive is if I turn on a flashlight and I shine some light onto things, they are in the light because this light is just shining on. They're not the light. They're receiving the light. And so there's this passive sense. To shine is to be bright because of Christ. But to shine actually also has an active element to it. And it, it, when we look at Fino, it's not only to be bright, but it's also to bring forth into the light. So to shine is not simply to expose and to shine light. To shine is also to take that which is in the darkness and bring it into the light. 
That's action. That's activity. I think for a lot of us, we're quite okay with the shining part. You know, we're happy to shine a flashlight on a friend's sin. You really need to sort that out. And that's a part of it. But another element of it is we're the ones who go to our friends. We're the ones who get our hands dirty in those situations. And we say, you are in darkness. This is darkness. I will bring it into the light. We shine. You know, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, speaks about this immediately after telling us that our attitude should be the same of Jesus Christ. If you know Philippians chapter 2, that well-known passage where our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then was exalted to the right hand of God. Our attitude should be the same. We know that well. But Paul goes on immediately after that. And in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to, sorry, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life. And what Paul is saying is we shine. God is working in us. It's God who works in us both to will and to act according to his pleasure. And so because God is working within me. So I work that salvation out. Not work for my salvation. I'm already saved. So I work that out in conjunction and in tandem with God. And as I work that out. And as I try and figure out what that means. As I live in in that light, so I keep watching and working. And then I stop grumbling and complaining. And that's really easy to say, isn't it? Husbands, when last did you complain at your wife? Wives, when last did you grumble about your husband? Parents, children, it, it, it... You know the annoying thing about this passage of Scripture? Let me just take a quick detour. The annoying thing about a passage of Scripture like this is, while I was working on my sermon this week, I had been at Starbucks, and that's often where I do a lot of sermon work, so I'm on Starbucks doing some work, uh, just before I've got to go fetch the kids from school and take them home. So I'm peacefully working, I get to this passage, I'm like, yes, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And I immediately go to school. And as I'm fetching my son... Cindy points out that, oops, because of the way things are gone, his bag is still in his class and I need to go. And do you know what I caught myself doing? Grumbling. Why am I fetching this kid's bag? And then the Holy Spirit reminded me, you're supposed to do everything without grumbling and complaining. It's a whole lot easier said than done, but it is still said. And therefore, we still have to do it. And so Paul says, do these things without grumbling and complaining, because when you act like that, you will shine like stars in a warped and crooked generation. Shine like stars. 
So how do I conclude? How do I close this off? And what sort of application do we work towards? Well, maybe the question each one of us should be asking and answering for ourselves is how do I shine in the place that God has placed me? What would it look like for you to shine in your home, in your neighborhood, with neighbors and friends, in your place of employment, within a broader family? What would it look like for me to shine in the place that God has placed us? Well, reading our passage today and the supporting scriptures we've read, the first thing is we need to cling to the word, capital W. We need to cling to Jesus Christ. And cling to his word. Be careful how you listen. If I want to shine like the stars, if I want to shine in a world of darkness, I need to cling to my Savior and cling to his word. That means daily I spend time reading, meditating, and praying. But not only do I spend time reading and praying and meditating, the second thing I do is I need to practice the word. You see, be careful how you listen to the word doesn't simply mean make sure you've heard the right words and you can explain the right words and you can sit in a Bible study and give a good answer. That's only one part of it. The second part is how will you practice that word? How will you do the word? As James, the brother of Jesus said, don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. If I want to shine, I cling to the word. And then I practice the word, individually and corporately. And finally, I proclaim the word. I cling to the word, I practice the word, and I proclaim the word. I tell the world that Jesus is alive. I tell the world that the gospel is good news and it is found in Jesus Christ. And I tell the world that Jesus is the light of the world. And so when people face darkness and are afraid and terrified in the place of darkness, whether literal or probably more spiritual or emotional or psychological or relational or whatever other darkness they find themselves in, I proclaim Jesus is the light. And as I do that, I will shine like stars as I hold on to the word of life. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning we acknowledge you are the light of the world. Thank you for shining into the darkness, for bringing hope and life. And then God, as we read your word, Jesus, I thank you that you call us lamps, lights, reflectors of your glory. And you shine through us in the place you've put us. And so that even today and this coming week, every one of us in this room, God, will end up in different places where others will not. And you invite us to be lamps, to be lights, to shine in that place. So God, I pray that we would learn to cling to you. Father, for those in our midst this morning who may not know you as Lord and Savior, 
who haven't made that decision, who's still on that journey, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them as the true light. And that as they walk in darkness, they would see the light. Father, I know that in a situation like that, Satan will come along and accuse us and make us feel guilty and shameful because of what might be lurking in the darkness. And we may have secrets and we may have sins and we may have things we don't want anybody to know about. Remind us, God, you already know about them. And remind us that your grace covers those mistakes. Your grace covers that darkness. And your light removes it. So, Father, help us to receive and step into the light. And then as we would go out, may you be glorified as you shine through us individually and as you shine through us corporately in our life groups and as a church body. For you are the hope of the world and you choose to work through us. We praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.